In our series, in the book of Proverbs, we said over and over that our need for wisdom is urgent. We need wisdom because we know that life in a broken world is complex, that everything is not simply black or white. And wisdom is having the, comp- uh, the competence or the ability to face the complexities of life. Wisdom is different from just knowing the facts about something. Wisdom is different from knowledge. You might have heard the quote, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting tomatoes in your fruit salad. Just because you can do something doesn't mean that you ought to do something. Wisdom is skill at living. And we shifted how we are going to study the book of Proverbs. You'll remember that the first nine chapters are a series of lectures from a father to a son. But in chapters 10 to 31, it's a long series of Proverbs. And a lot of people have tried to make sense of the order. Why are they in this order? Is there some secret hidden code that you can unlock? But there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to the order of the Proverbs. And so to use the quote that I referenced earlier... Knowledge would be preaching through the Proverbs in order, preaching through the Proverbs chapter by chapter. But wisdom, we think, is grouping them into topics, into preaching through themes that come up over and over. And that's what we aim to do this morning, to look at what the Proverbs have to say about the topic of anger. And so we've listed a series of Proverbs in your bulletin, and it'll be on the screen. And so I would invite you to follow along with me as we consider what God's word has to say to us in the book of Proverbs regarding anger. Hear God's word to us this morning. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one who is given to anger causes much transgression. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man. For pressing milk produces curds, pressing the nose produces blood, and pressing anger produces strife. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Everyone who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive him with your lips. Do not say... I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Let's pray. God, we need your help in this time. Would you come by your spirit and would you make these words alive to our souls, that it would be of eternal benefit to us, and that by your Spirit that you would multiply it to our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
As you saw in the verses that we read, the theme of anger comes up over and over in the book of Proverbs. There's more verses that I could have listed that were left out of the reading this morning. But the writer of, writers of Proverbs are trying to tell us something, that if we want to be wise people, if we want to be able to deal with the complexities of life with competence and skill, that you and I have to understand our anger. We have to understand the anger that is in, within our own hearts, and we have to understand the anger in those around us. If I asked you to define anger, chances are you would define it in negative terms. You would say something like, anger is a strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility in response to a threat. Anger is volatile. Anger is vengeful. And in our experience of anger, this is very true. We all know that feeling of rage that we've gotten before, that turning from Bruce Banner to the Incredible Hulk in just a second, that loss of control that we feel. We all have done dumb things when we're angry, done things that we regret. We all know how destructive and how harmful our anger can be. And who among us has not damaged a relationship, said things that we wish we could have taken back, but we know we can't? Doctors will tell you that anger takes a toll on your body, takes a toll on your physical health. You're at increased risk for heart attack, increased risk for stroke. It weakens your immune system. It increases the likelihood of anxiety and depression. And so when we think of anger, we think in negative terms. But you might be surprised to know that the Bible doesn't always speak of anger in negative ways. In fact, the Bible says that the anger can actually be a very good thing. It can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. But that anger in and of itself is not always negative. And so we need wisdom to know the difference. Over and over in the book of Proverbs, we see wisdom as being described as being slow to anger. Did you notice how many times that came up in the verses that we read? In Exodus 34, when Moses was on Mount Sinai and God came to him in a cloud, God appeared to him, descended on the mountain in a cloud, and he proclaimed his name to Moses. And he said, the Lord, the Lord, a God... Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So anger is a part of the character of God. It's how God describes himself. He is a God who is slow to anger. So if the Bible presents anger as something that could be good or bad, if it is a part of the character of God, then how should we define anger? And not as easy as you might think. Even in the world of psychology, there's differences, different systems of thought on how we should think about anger. But for our use this morning, we will define anger as the response that you have when something you love is threatened or in danger. We'll unpack that more in a minute. But for now, anger is the response you have when something you love is threatened or in danger. And so if we, we want competence to deal with the complexities of life, we need wisdom. If we need, want competence to deal with the complexity of anger, we need wisdom as well. And when you look at the op- opening lectures in Proverbs, the father speaks to the son and he lays out two ways, two paths that his son can take. The first is the path of folly. It's personified by lady folly. And this is the foolish way of living. And so the father says to the son, son, if you want to be a fool... 
you will follow after the way of Lady Folly. It is a way that will lead to destruction and to misery in your life. But there's also a path of wisdom personified by Lady Wisdom. And this is the path of wise living. This is a path of life and vitality and joy. And the same is true of anger. As we think of anger, we can either follow the path of folly or we can follow the path of wisdom. And that's how we want to structure our time this morning. What are the ways that in our anger we follow the path of folly? And then secondly, how can we follow the path of wisdom in our anger? So first, how do we follow the path of folly in our anger? How does anger make us fools? There's two primary ways we, we see this. And the first is that we let our anger consume us. We use anger as a weapon to control those around us. We've all experienced someone who uses their anger and who uses their, their rage to win an argument. You started off in a discussion with them and all of a sudden it flips and they start to rage. Their anger is a weapon that they have used to win the argument. The angry person feels backed into a corner. They feel like they aren't being listened to, like they don't have a voice, they don't have influence. And their rage and their anger is a way that they can feel power. But what they don't see, what we don't see when we rage like that is how deadly and how corrosive our anger is. And that ultimately what our anger will do is it will drive us from everyone around us. Angry words and angry people rip apart relationships and tear apart communities. When we use our anger as a weapon, we often think we get the result that we want. But wisdom would tell us that in the long run, we have lost. The author Frederick Buechner has this to say about anger. Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor to the last twosome morsel both the pain you were given and the pain you are going to give back. In many ways, anger is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast of anger is you. If you are a fool with your anger, if you blow up in rage, if you are hot-tempered and volatile, the power you feel in that moment might feel good. But you are killing your own soul. Your anger will leave you isolated and alone, and you will ruin all of your relationships. Proverbs 29.8, the scoffer sets the city aflame. Unchecked, unwise anger torches everything. It's a slash and burn operation, and the results are devastating. Proverbs 22.24, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man. Proverbs 15.18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife. 21.19, it is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Do you see that when you use your weapon, your anger as a weapon, you isolate yourself. It is better for others to be out in the desert by themselves than with you. 
But the second way that we follow the path of folly, the second way that we follow the path of folly with our anger is not that we just use our anger as a weapon, but we ignore our anger altogether. We follow the path of folly when we ignore, when we deny, or we suppress the anger that we feel. And let's be honest, for most of us in this room, this is where we live with anger. We are Southern Evangelical Christians. We're people that don't get outwardly angry very often. We don't want to let things bother us. We are very skilled at denying our anger. And we can even, we're so good, we can even cloak our denial of our anger in really spiritual language. You know, I'm not angry. I'm just going to pray for that person. I'm going to use my, this situation as an opportunity to pray for the other person. Because when we admit that we are angry, what we are doing is we're admitting that we're vulnerable. That what the other person did hurt us. And that we are capable of being hurt. So let me give you an example. Say, for instance, I am supposed to meet a friend for lunch this week. And my friend doesn't show up for lunch. He just forgets the lunch altogether. And as I'm sitting at the restaurant and I figure this out that he's just not going to show up today, I'm angry. I feel angry, but I'm hurt. I feel like my friend forgot me. I feel neglected. By my friend, and my friend calls, he, he realizes I messed up. So he calls and he apologizes, and he feels terrible about the situation. And what's my response? Oh, don't, don't, don't worry about it. It's really not that big of a deal. I, I really enjoy the awkward feeling of sitting at a restaurant by myself, checking my watch to see if anyone was going to show up. It's no big deal. Don't, don't worry about it. What I'm doing in that situation is I'm assuming a place of superiority over my friend. Because in my my heart, what I'm saying is I'm the friend who remembered the lunch. I'm the one who showed up. But I can't admit to you that I'm angry because if I admit to you that I am angry, it would mean that you hurt me, that I am vulnerable and capable of being hurt rather than a soft answer that turns away wrath that's talked about in Proverbs 15. Rather than a soft answer that says, yes, that really hurt. I was hurt when you didn't show up. But my solution is, is I ignore it. I deny it. And then later it comes out as rage. I will ignore the anger I have towards my friend, and then I'm going to have a disproportionate response later in the day. I'm mad that my friend stood me up for lunch, but then I get home and I'm going to yell at the kids when they don't get ready for bed in the exact speed at which I would like for them to get ready for bed. On a scale of 1 to 10, what my kid did was probably a 2. It was a minor offense. But my response? My response is like an 8. It's a disproportionate response. Why is that? Because I am being a fool about my anger. I am following the path of folly. I am denying and ignoring my own anger. And that's not the way that God created us to be. God gave us emotions, and we, when we ignore them, we do so to our own folly. And so you ask, if I can't ignore my anger, if I can't use my anger as a weapon, then what, is, what do I do with the anger that I feel? And that brings us to the second point. How do we follow the path of wisdom with our anger? To put it in the words of Proverbs, how can we be the one who is not the one who stirs up to anger? You see those two, two phrases a lot in the book of Proverbs, the one who stirs up to anger and the one who is slow to anger. So how can we be the one who is slow to anger? 
If we are to be wise with our anger, to be slow to anger, we need to consider three things. The first is that we go up. Second is that we go down. And the third is that we consider Jesus and our anger. So first, to go up. If we're to be slow to anger, we need to get perspective on our anger. You know, when you're in the middle of anger, it's hard to get perspective. It's hard to look at the situation with any kind of objectivity because your blood starts pumping. Your heart rate increases, hormones start racing, and we all lose perspective. Proverbs fourteen twenty nine: whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Being slow to anger means that you have great understanding, that you can step back from the situation and you can ask yourself, what's really going on here? That you start having a conversation with yourself. Look at Proverbs 24, 28. Solomon is having a conversation with himself. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the the man back for what he has done. Solomon is having this inner dialogue with himself. He, He gets a little perspective, and he's able to consider what's going on. So how can we be wise with our anger? We have to go up. If you were here a few years ago when John Cox was doing the marriage conference, he would talk about going bird's eye, getting the Google Maps view of the situation. I'm sure he'll talk about it this weekend as well. That we need to go up to get some perspective on what's going on. Think about anger as a light on your soul's dashboard. When you are feeling angry, it is a flashing light to you that something is wrong in your soul, that something is threatened, that something that you love is endangered. And just being able to slow down, just being able to notice that you are angry is a step in the right direction. And when you go up, and when you get some perspective, you ask, what, what's really going on here? Get curious. What, what's going on under the hood? Why am I so angry right now? And just as, a, as an aside, um, this situation is a really good opportunity, uh, a good chance uh, to consider the friendship that Jason talked about last week. If you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go back and to listen uh, to that sermon uh, about friendship, because the Proverbs have a lot to say about friendship as well, but it's good to have a friend who is committed to you, who can help you see what you can't see about your own anger. You know, there are a handful of conversations that I have had in my life that have changed the course of my life. Now, these conversations have been with different people at different stages in life and about different topics. But one of these conversations came when I was young in the ministry. I had been ordained for about a year. And a guy sat across the table from me, and he said, Martin, you're really angry. Have you ever thought about why you were so angry? I wish that I could tell you that my response to that person was one of humility and grace and self-reflection faith and repentance, but it was none of those things. What happened was I got even more angry. I was more bitter and more cynical. It was that that conversation actually haunted me for years until I finally had to deal with my anger. 
until I finally had to deal with what was going on. That person and other friends along the way helped me see what I was unable and unwilling to see about my own anger. They helped me get perspective. They helped me to go up. They also helped me to do the second thing, which is to go down, to see what's really going on in my own heart. Getting perspective gives us a window into what's going on in our heart. And this is where it can get complicated because when you feel anger, it's hard to feel anything else. Anger is so explosive and anger is so consuming that it's hard to feel anything else when you're angry. But again, the exhortations that we read when we read Proverbs is that the wise person is slow to anger. That we have the ability to slow down, get some perspective, and then start doing a little digging. One of the things that has been so helpful for me in my own sin and my own struggles with anger is when my counselor helped me to see anger as a secondary emotion. That anger is never the first emotion that we have in a situation. That anger always comes second. So back to my friend standing me up for lunch. What I felt first in that situation was embarrassed. I felt hurt. And then... I felt anger. But rather than having to heal to deal with the hurt or the embarrassment, I just turned to anger because anger seemed easier. Because in the moment, anger acts like a shield for me that I hold up so I won't have to feel the harder and the darker and the deeper emotions. And we all do this. I feel anger so I won't have to feel betrayed. I feel anger so I won't have to feel hurt. What question that has been so helpful for me as I've considered and thought through this sermon is to ask yourself in your anger, what are you protecting? It goes back to our definition. If anger is the response you have when something you love is in danger or something you love is being threatened, what is it that you love that is being threatened? Why am I angry about that? And if I'm honest with you, what I find when I think about my own anger what am I angry about when I, what am I really protecting when I am angry? What is the thing that is in danger when I'm angry? The answer that I find is what I'm protecting is me. I'm protecting my own ego, my own agenda, and my own pride. I'm angry because something has gotten in the way of the thing that I love most, and that is me. And so when you are angry, ask yourself, what are you protecting? What emotions are you shielding yourself from so you won't have to feel them? Let me give you a few examples. This can be a little abstract. Let me try to bring it home. We'll start with an easy one. What about parenting? Why do I get so angry with my kids? Why do you? Why do I I get angry when my kids won't perform the way I want them to or won't behave the way I want them to? What am I protecting What do I not want to feel? I get angry with my kids most of the time because I'm protecting my own reputation. I get angry because I'm embarrassed. It's not about them. It's not about their well-being or their growth or about who God has created them to be. I care about how I look. I want you to think that I am a good parent, that I've got it all together. And I'm angry because I can't control my kids. They have wills and minds and hearts of their own, and I get angry when their behavior pokes holes in my carefully constructed facade. It's easier to be angry than it is to feel helpless about raising kids. 
Why do you get angry in traffic when someone doesn't go fast enough or doesn't go fast enough so you miss the light? You might ask, why? Why am I so angry right now? What am I protecting? In reality, you're embarrassed. You might find you're embarrassed. You didn't plan your day very well, and you're going to be embarrassed when you show up at the meeting late. And you're afraid you're going to look bad when you show up. It's easier to feel anger at a nameless, faceless driver in front of you than it is to feel embarrassed. But to be slow to anger, to be wise with your anger, means that you can slow down and you can admit, you know, I just feel embarrassed right now. What about when you're angry with your spouse? You know, this oftentimes doesn't look like rage, though it can. Anger with your spouse might look more like long-term annoyance and disdain. Your spouse can't do anything right. Everything that your spouse does just ends up being annoying. And so what you do is you pick at each other. You make snide comments. And occasionally you give very helpful comments for them to see how they might improve, which are not received as helpful comments. But underneath, underneath that, you are seething with resentment and bitterness. So perhaps God will give you the grace to slow down and to ask, why am I so angry? Why am I angry at my spouse right now? What hard emotions am I shielding myself from? Why am I so angry? What you might find underneath that anger is that you've got a lot of hurt. You've got a lot of years of feeling neglected, of feeling alone. And let's face it, it's a lot easier to be angry than it is to feel alone. Anger at least gives you a sense of power. At least your spouse will react to you when you are angry. But feeling neglected leaves you vulnerable. But the way of wisdom, the way to be slow to anger is to admit that you feel neglected and alone. What about the angry teenager? I can identify with this one. The angry teenager who says, everything is stupid. Everyone in my life is just an idiot. My parents, my teachers, my friends. I don't like anything in life. My school, my church, any of my activities, all the sports. Everything is just dumb and I don't like anything. We've all observed the teenager. Maybe you were one. I was one. You just seem angry at life itself. So you ask yourself, why? Why is this teenager so angry? What are they protecting? What is behind the shield? You know, God might give you the grace to look behind the shield and just figure out that you're afraid. That you're confused because the world around you is changing, that you are changing, and that you're feeling all of this pressure. You've got to make the grade. You've got to achieve, and you're 15 years old, and it feels like the rest of your life hangs upon the result of one test. You've got all these emotions, and you don't know what to do with them, and you're just scared. And it's easier to be, af- to be afraid, to be angry, than it is to be afraid. It's easier to withdraw than it is to risk being hurt. What about those who are getting older? Those who are aging. You look around and you see that 
Life's just not the way it used to be. The things in the world around you are changing and you no longer have the power, you no longer have the influence that you once had. And as you thought about what your life would be like right now, it looks a lot different than reality. Your vision of the golden years have not turned out the way that you thought they would. And so you were angry. Why? Why are you angry? What are you protecting? What's under your anger? The fact is you're scared. You're scared of getting older. You're afraid of dying. And who wouldn't be afraid in your situation? What little control you thought you had over life has gone and you were terrified. But it's easier to be angry than it is to be scared. But in order to follow the path of wisdom, we have to go up. We have to get perspective on what's going on, but we have to go down and we have to see what's really happening in our own souls. But leave us leaves us with the question, how do we get the power to do any of this? Because at this point in the sermon, you might be in one of two camps. You might be feeling uh, really depressed because your anger has been an inferno that you've not been able to control your entire life and you think it's just hopeless. There's no way that I could deal with the anger that's in my own heart. Or on the other hand, you think, I can do this. The real issue is the person sitting next to me. I hope they are paying attention and they are listening to this. My anger is really not that big of a deal. I can handle it. But I tell you, both camps are wrong. Your anger is not too big for the love of God, but your anger is much too big for you to handle on your own. We need the power of the gospel and the love of God if we are ever to confront our anger. Because we can have the power to follow the path of wisdom in regard to our anger when we see and when we understand the anger of God. Remember that anger is a part of who God is, that he is the Lord, a God, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And why? Why is God angry? What evokes the anger in God? It is because something that he loves is threatened. Something that is near and dear to his heart is in danger. God is angry because of what sin has done to his creation. God is angry because the glory of his creation, the glory of his holiness has been marred by sin. God is angry because his people have rebelled against him. We have turned away from his loving care and we have all gone our own way. And we rightly deserve the wrath. We rightly deserve God's anger because of our sin. But the miracle of the gospel is that the anger of God is not directed toward those who deserve it. The good news is that God pours out his righteous anger on himself. The cup of his wrath that we deserved was poured out on Jesus fully and completely and finally. Jesus took the everlasting wrath and anger of the Father for us so that you and I would never have to bear the awful weight of the the fury of the anger of God. The perfect anger of God has taken away the thing that he hates, which is our sin, without taking away the thing that he loves, which is us. Jesus has taken the anger of God for every time that you have misused your anger in sin. And his perfect record is given to you. And so what will free you from your destructive anger? To know that because of Jesus... God is not angry with you, that you are forgiven, that you are loved in Jesus. And the security and the peace that you can have because you know that. And having that security and peace will let you figure out what's beneath your anger. 
when you have received and when you know the love of God for you in Jesus, that is what will enable you to take the shield of your anger away and let God love you so that you can sense his fatherly care for you. Let's pray. Lord, would you take this word and apply it? May we know and believe in our hearts that you have taken our sin. We pray that that would free us to examine our own anger. We also pray that out of your grace that you would make us generous people who love in deed and in truth. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.